please forgive us as we get used to the logistics. That's turned on. Claire, do you want to start there? Um, if each of you could just introduce yourselves, um, just a little bit about what you do, what your role is, um, anything you like. My name's Claire Marnie. I work for RIDBC, which is the Royal Institute for Deaf and Blind Children, and I'm a specialist teacher in vision. I have um, eight students at six different schools at the moment, so I just travel around my part of Sydney and work with the schools and the students to make sure that the curriculum is accessible for them and that they've got all the skills that they need, particularly teaching a lot of technology, which I happen to love and embrace, and might you'd say, say something interesting about yourself. I'm not sure what's interesting about myself, but um, I'm looking forward to summer and paddle boarding coming up. <laughs> uh, hi everyone, uh, my name's Brodie Smith. I am a university student myself, um, studying to be a high school teacher in the areas of history and drama. Uh, I actually have a vision impairment and I'm classified as legally blind, so I've been through uh, the schooling system and know um, some kind of background info on what uh, some of the challenges are and uh, how that kind of process looks and what support networks are actually out there for people with uh, vision impairments in schooling. And um, I actually play my fun fact, because I'm going to do a fun fact, is I play um, a vision impaired sport called goalball and uh, it's great fun. If you haven't seen it, you should definitely check it out. Um, it's pretty great. So yeah, that's me. Hi, I'm Audrey Housby. I'm from the National Disability Coordination Officer Program from the National Disability Coordination Office. Um, we, we're actually funded by the Department of Training and Education. And what my role is, is to ensure that we know, sorry, that our teachers and uh, parents, students are about to leave school know what um, services are around their local towns and transitioning obviously from uh, secondary education through to TAFE University RTOs. Um, fun fact, I'm in the big city. I came from Bathurst this morning, so I'm very excited. Uh, the area that I cover is Lithgow to Broken Hill, Mildura to Burke. So I've got about 98 schools that I communicate with. Um, not on a daily basis. I spread them out for at least once a month. No. Um, so yeah, that's probably what I'm very excited about being in the big city today. Good morning everyone, um, I'm Sue Leong. I'm just one of the assistant principals vision. There are a number of us ac um, across Sydney and New South Wales. Uh, my role is to supervise and coordinate a team of specialist teachers. Uh, we work with students from preschool to year 12 and in a range of um, settings from special schools to support units within regular schools to um, working with students who are fully mainstreamed. My one, while I've got the microphone, I'd like to actually put my, a plug in to something that uh, some of you may not know of, but what I love doing every year, um, come the last week of term two, is go to National Braille Music Camp. So for anyone who has a young blind student who loves music and loves to sing, come and speak to me. I'm more than happy to tell you all about National Braille Music Camp. It's an absolutely wonderful um, experience for the children. and They learn the music code there. So the panel is uh, about managing school transition. So I suppose let's start by saying what is school transition? Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> um, so obviously, uh, 
I would say a school transition is clearly moving from one form of or uh, type of education into another. So you transition from primary school into high school. You transition from uh, years nine and ten into your HSC years, and then ultimately you transition from your full high school experience into university or TAFE or whatever kind of pathway uh, you want to take. And there are a number of kind of like steps involved with that, and you kind of have to. Um, Having a support network is probably the most key thing that I like. For instance, with my transition primarily from uh, my HSC years into my university years, I had a great support network at home that was really uh, supportive and um, helped me to research into the university that I go to, what kind of disability support that they can give me. Um, my teachers were really helpful providing me with uh, uh, coping strategies and mechanisms on how to handle my work better and um, things along those lines. So I would say transitions are probably best combated with a really strong support network, in my opinion. Just add to that, I think um, just start thinking early on um, and go and see half a dozen of the universities if you need to um, contact. What I've done today is just... Um, Near Emma, there I've got I don't know there's about eight different sorts of resource packs there for you. One of them is um, the website where you can go and find out where your university is or the university you want and who the support person will be for you to contact straight away at that university. Um, is just to um, go in and get to know them, find out if you can do some of your own private open days so you can go around the campus and, and become comfortable. I think things that you might need to want to consider is what supports, technologies or strategies have you successfully used in the past or currently use to participate in study and or community activities? And do you think that you might need to fully participate in independently um, as possible at a high school educational vet? So just what have you used in the past that you can take with you into the future? And then again, if you're using your JAWS or your Zoom or, or any of that sort of technology, making sure you can take that across to you to university. But get in there early so that you're feeling comfortable by the time you get in there. You know who your support staff are going to be um, and you know your way around the campus, which will make things a lot less, uh, I suppose, uncomfortable yeah. on the day when yeah. you start. Yeah. Can, and the same goes with the other transitions that we mostly deal with are uh, pre uh, preschool to kindergarten, year six to year um, seven. Also, um, at various times, some of our students do transfer from one um, part of Sydney to another Sydney, so that's another transition. If you, um, parents particularly, if you can think about those transitions and what schools you want your student to go to the year before um, they actually make that transition, ideally um, we'd like to be notified uh, by probably term two of the year ahead so that then in term three we can start planning the transition doing all the paperwork and, um, like, and things like the risk assessment of the school site. And then we can, in term four, ideally, we would actually Im implement a, a transition program at the school. If you're looking at a public school, I would just approach the nearest uh, 
principal, the, sorry, the principal of the nearest primary school, then he or she will know how to contact the vision support teams. And um, I would assume that they would then set up a meeting for all the relevant um, personnel so we can um, discuss the needs of the child and plan all the pr uh, processes and take all the steps that we need to for that student. Um, I would like to say that I, I think maybe the best, um, what's the word, um, pre preparation for a student is to have a year in preschool. I mean, there's all, there's all that learning that um, can take place. There's a socialisation aspect where the child knows, will learn how to interact with other adults and other children. And then um, with the department, we can come on board and work in those settings as well. And I know there's other services available too. Um, there's the early childhood um, team from RIDBC and Vision Australia staff can also work in early childhood settings. Ah, yes. So when you've chosen your school, you, or you'd go around and check out your independent schools and make the choice of which one you want to, sorry, go to. Um, just on a really practical level, just recently I've um, done a kindergarten transition. So what we did, we had a few people working on that transition. Ideally, you would like, it's ideal if the specialist teacher knows that you're going to have that student in kindergarten, but that's not always the case the year before. But certainly, um, if you're going to be working with RIDBC or DET, someone will be going into the school to um, work with the staff and orientate the staff and help them to understand the new student that's coming in. And then O&M, their O&M specialists are really important, I've found, for my, my little orientation mobility. orientation mobility specialists. So they will, um, they took my student into the school a few times um, in orientation days with everybody else, but also during the holidays. So they really understood the layout of the school and they knew where everything was. And they just went in the holidays where the play equipment is, the toilets, a really good, you know, understanding and that was really helpful. So you have your team around you and you prepare early and you go in a bit earlier and then you meet your teacher. The other thing is that um, I guess a little tip I'd say is that teachers are getting to know your child as well so there'll be little hiccups along the way but it's like problem solving with an optimism because there are little things that come up that are unpredictable I would imagine and, and I guess Brody you'd know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you know there's, there's always ways to work around things and solutions to, to um, the issues that come up. So the, that kindy transition is pretty big so and it's fun. We, when we talk about transition, so we're talking about saying, okay, the year before, kindergarten through to preschool, reach out, contact the local school, or with independent or the Catholic schools is the same system, you just go to your local school and start talking to them? Well, yes, whatever school you, if it's an independent school, that's the school you've chosen. And so you go and start talking to them what, the year before, definitely. And when we're talking about providers and health coordinate services, are we talking about there'll be one provider who will come in and help? Or what does it look like? No, there'll be a team. So, um, well, certainly now um, with RIDBC, there's a team. So you'd, your, your orientation mobility trainer, trainer might be from Guide Dogs or Vision Australia. And then you'll have your specialist teacher, which would be me. And they're the main two which are probably coming into the school. And then you've got your class teacher and your learning support staff at the school, maybe your um, first connector, where you, that, yeah, that would be the parent's first person to speak to at school and the class teacher at the same time. And that's kind of the team. So we've got 
somebody who comes into the classroom and spends time with the teacher. We've got someone who does orientation mobility, so that's mm. presumably cane use or how to how to get around, how to navigate safely. Um, what other roles do we have in, in that environment? I think we've got, like how does Braille happen, for example? How do the oh, the, it's a specialist around? teacher. Yeah? Me. Right, so that's the in the classroom person? Yeah, I'll pass on. I might just clarify if you're um, looking at a public school, then the vision support team, um, we kind of can do all of that. We support the student within the class. We'll do, uh, draw up a personal learning plan, which would, might include Braille instruction or might be long cane instruction as well, and we'll implement that one-on-one -on -one program. We are also trained mobility instructors. So we train our students to become familiar with the environment of that school. For any outside community travel training, that's when we refer the families to another agency. Um, now, also within schools, every school in DOE has a learning support team where they've got some teachers with some previous training in special ed. So it's also our job to go in and provide the professional learning for all of the staff to get skilled in the area of vision impairment. Uh, so I personally had a really quite good experience with uh, my support staff in my high school and that also carried on into university. Uh, I had a personal learning plan uh, myself, so I was given a slightly larger font on my handouts. Um, the teachers were instructed to not use green pen on the board because I couldn't see it and um, thing, things along those lines and they, I found that to be really helpful and yet not too intrusive to then isolate me as a person with a vision impairment within the classroom. So I found that to be really helpful because um, school is very much a social setting and there's very much those kind of um, pressures and anxieties about fitting in and belonging and having a cohort. So um, I found that kind of, um, like it was, I was also offered support outside of that as well. So if there were particular things like with my exams I was given like bigger font once again a light on my desk and things like that so that I could best achieve my goals as a student and I found that to be really really helpful and carrying on to uni I got much of the same support uh, if not more I found university to be very very supportive they've given me even more resources than I got in high school so the support's out there it's just a matter of you just have to kind of seek it, I suppose, and not be afraid to ask for help when you need it. So if we've, we've touched on that initial transition point where we're sort of first coming into education and those early years of life, does anyone have any
Minnesota. Uh, I first contacted Sage a couple of months ago to insist that hasn't really got much of a response. How does the process work? Where can we just contact for the next step? Sorry. Well, could, could I ask you, um, does your is your child in any sort of early childhood setting at the moment? Maybe the principal's thinking it's just a little too soon for, for, you, for you to be um, talking about that. I mean, I, it's great that you're on board with that, but I might, uh, I think it might help if you let the child go into your, um, the early childhood setting first, and then once you're logged in and you're getting an early intervention service from one of those agencies, they'll be able to contact the education department if you want to go with the public schools and um, help that help that bridge to the, to the principal. When you're in the preschool, um, and they'll be able to help facilitate the transition to kindergarten. They'll be helping you all along the way there and they'll contact the schools too. Okay, um, if once your child is enrolled in an early childhood setting, then um, you could um, try and make contact with one of the vision support teams and we, we could uh, uh, well, apply to have the child come onto caseload. Now, we, we can work in early childhood settings. There's a process called an access request 
that um, we have to fill out. Uh, it would also involve the AP um, vision who's in your area, assistant principal vision, coming out and do a fu doing a functional assessment of your student so we or he or she would gain an idea of how much um, support you, the child um, could receive. Uh, we, we have a range of um, levels from a monitor which might be a monthly visit up to 12 hours per week for a student who's going to learn Braille and uh, would, will use the long cane for travel safety. It, it generally is, yes. Sorry, yeah, someone's just mentioned also, um, for those students with high needs, and that's usually the Braille students and the long cane users, schools can also apply for integration funding, which would be on top of the 12 hours that the vision support team provide. And, and can I just say, um, you also mentioned technology. Again, there's a statewide process of applying for any piece of technology. Um, so the funds come from state um, state what's it, office rather than it, the school, rather than the local things. So um, as, as long as the team is willing to put a recommendation in and apply for, uh, for technology, it usually will get approved. Well, there is the um, National Consistent Collection of Data, so depending on where your child fits into which category, they do receive funding from the federal government, which is different from the state. But we live in a, an age of great choice in our schools, so it is a little bit. I understand the minefield that you're, or that it's a complications. But every school, whether it be public or independent, has the um, responsibility that they must provide the education that your, your child needs and the means of which to apply that education. Those in that independent school you went to yesterday may not have been aware or have had used our service, but they do apply to um, the Royal Institute for Deaf and Blind Children. Our vision team is just, and we go over the metropolitan area, and then there's different levels of service there, but they do have to apply for it, and um, that's that's what they have to do, really. <laughs> so. That's right. Yes. In any system. Would you agree? Yes. 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 At any. Yeah. So.
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, as like a teacher in training, um, I a very strong focus that I found in um, many of my classes that I have been taking at uni is about inclus inclusivity and um, making sure that all students feel a part and uh, feel like they can engage and belong within a classroom. And um, so a lot of my assignments that I have been having are kind of geared around trying to come up with ways and ideas and kind of methods behind what we can do to kind of further that and make that more of a realistic aspect in classrooms around um, New South Wales and Australia. I don't have a straightforward answer on how we can make resources more accessible. Um, I Personally, I would use my laptop as a key uh, aspect on how that, to access resources for myself because I can enlarge the font, I can use uh, JAWS or Zoom text or those kind of things in order to create resources for my students and in order to read my textbooks and aspects like that. But in terms of receiving resources from other teachers to then implement into the classroom, I haven't come up with a way yet to um, kind of make that as accessible as possible to create a, a classroom where I can use those resources successfully. So I think it's something that education is definitely moving towards, but I think they haven't figured out how to get there yet. So um, hopefully in the next few years, we'll see those resources becoming more accessible and um, being able to be implemented by more uh, VI teachers and um, that in the future. But for now, uh, it's kind of a gray area. I just thought of one major difference um, for parents with a year six student is once you've determined how the student's going to get from home to school every day, that um, if tra travel training is involved, that, that you avail yourselves of the services from Vision Australia or Guide Dogs and get that travel training happening because we want to keep our students as independent as possible. And when they're 13 year olds, I'm sure they all want to be out there traveling by themselves.
I would very much agree with that statement. Uh, having come through the schooling system myself as a vision impaired child, um, there, there were times, particularly for me with sport, um, so my eye condition means I don't have any peripheral vision, so um, in games like soccer and um, touch football and things where it involved a lot of like running and paying attention and tracking a ball, I would really struggle. And I knew I would struggle, but I had some some people in my class who were like, oh, Brody, you can't, you can't really play this. Like, you, you can't see the ball. Like, I think you, you'd better sit out or you better just stand to the side or those kind of things, which is really hard to deal with as a child who wants to engage with content and like make friends and be in that social setting but you're kind of being isolated by your peers and that was so it was kind of a combination so uh it was very much a personal battle i had to kind of come to terms with it myself and not let what their opinions of me with my disability were and limit me from achieving what i can achieve in life but um, my close friends were also really supportive of me and they would always make, make a way for me to be engaged in what they were doing and um, having a way in um, that aspect. And occasionally it would carry across into the classroom as well. I would often, because um, I got extra time and larger print in my exams, people were often like, well, you can see why are you getting these extra? Because I don't necessarily look like I do have a vision impairment. And that was another aspect that I then had to deal with again because um, I needed the support but my classmates couldn't quite understand why and um, through through the help of uh, my teachers uh, they were a real great influence um, and would spoke to the class and was like well look guys like you can't um, kind of not discriminate but like you can't signal them out just because like there's obviously reasons and um, that. So I had a strong support network which helped me come over that. But it is a real issue in classrooms and schools around Australia. I don't have a step-by-step -step guide on how to combat it, but um, I think it is something that uh, educators need to be aware of, that there is this kind of um, friction or division between students with a vision impairment and um, mainstream students, and then trying to combat that is one of the great mysteries of education. How much were Audrey into this? Because certainly, I'd imagine as you go from the little tiny primary school to the high school to the very big university to seven or eight billion people out in the world, that it becomes a much less controlled environment. Presumably, you encounter some of those problems. That was just a real question. The bigger world. No, and I think if you keep a good support sort of network with you, but I think what's really changed in the recent past is that big world of uh, the big writing on the wall of the NDIS. And I think that's uh, uh, changed things quite a bit and opened up a lot of opportunities where you may end up then having more services that you can be involved with. Services that maybe don't always coordinate so well together, but the intentions are there. I think it's... You're going to, as a young person moving into those stages, especially going into adult learning, it's taking more control of yourself. I think that's one of the strong things, that, and I'm sure you probably did it at quite a young age anyway, um, realising that's what you're going to need to do. Um, but it's just, I, I don't know, I, it's a hard, 
I think it's just having that same support network and having a strong support network. And, um, it is key, isn't it, for everything, and it's a consistent one. And you think you'll find that you'll get that, especially with the NDIS, when you've got that voice choice and control to keep that consistency going through as well. Yeah. And is this network something that you primarily need to find yourself? Or how much does the, the network come at you? It's finding. It's yeah. finding. Um, it's, and it just depends on how much support you actually do need as well. There are organisations out there that have that purity of that voice choice and control where you can actually choose who you want to take and then through the NDIS they can help, you know, the financial side of supporting you through to have that consistency. Um, good question. Google, but go, go to my resources over here at the end. <laughs> I've put quite a few resources out there um, so that you sh it should be able to help you. I've also, this is, um, we've got one of eight different types of disabilities that the NDCOs have put together. I've obviously brought the one for blind and sight impairment. It lets you know exactly what the NDIS will cover and exactly what you're responsible for financially or for equipment and then what the university or the tertiary being TAFE is responsible for legally that have to provide for you as a service as well. So that, that's a lot really clear because a lot of times with the NDIS people just assume that the NDIS will cover education. It doesn't. Education is responsible for education. NDIS is, um, is responsible for what is appropriate and necessary for your day-to-day -day life. If you're um, in an independent school and you um, have a, one of us from RIDBC 
um, it's similar. Everything's provided from us um, except for the orientation mobility training. Um, and some of that can be provided by us, but often we um, work with the trainer that's working, uh, the O&M specialist that's working with the student outside the school to come into the school on occasions. So we do functional vision and access technology reports. So you may so it's a team. Some services provide funded through NDIS and some through the school paying. No, the school like service. With the school service, all those services come yep. except for the R and M, which. Um, which is NDIS. Which is NDIS. Right. So this is um, who is responsible for funding your reasonable and necessary requirements. So NDIS may fund your disability-specific needs such as technology and apps that are necessary for you to communicate in the community and your, ed your education setting, equipment and supports that um, assist with navigating and participating in the further education or training environment, for example, joining appropriate clubs and societies, going to the cafeteria, participating in orientation activities, attending social meetings for the first few times, engaging with union activities and support, communicating with academic and support staff, orientation of mobility instructor to familiar, familiarise yourself with the campus, support to and from the campus, transport to and from your workplace, if you're doing a work placement. Your education provider may provide assistance for your studies, such as information and text in accessible preferred formats, practical assistant to assist you in the laboratory work, practical assistant to assist you on your excursions and work placements, alternative examination arrangements, example assistance technology, scribes, ex extra completion or resting time, transport between campus venues, ensuring the areas you need to access are accessible, example classrooms, libraries and cafeteria. Your responsibilities of your own everyday items for students costs such as laptop and desktop computer, textbook, stationery and USBs, course and student fees, Home internet connection and ongoing charges. So uh, I'll focus on my transition from high school into university because it's the most recent one that um, has occurred for me. Uh, when I was applying for universities, I was, very I was very much looking for location that was easy, accessible to me, that I could get to via public transport, that um, was um, close to home. So I, I found all of that in the uni that I uh, ended up picking. and. Um, it took me a little while to track down the support network that was enlisted at that uni, but once I did, I found the process to just run super smooth. They uh, met me, um, had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me, spoke to me about what support I had in high school, what support I need now, 
they offered me um, a lot of technology that um, I I don't use, but that they had available. So they had JAWS available on all of the uni computers. So like all I would have to do is log log on to the computer, and I would have access to that. To Zoom, I'd have access to that as well on computers. Um, they for my exams, they let me pick the font. They would let me choose the size. They would let me sit in a lit environment. They would so. Um, I've, they've given me extra time on assignments if I find that my eyes are being strained and they've just I, I feel like the the key components that make a really good transition is that um, a that the support staff are open to listening and it, like responding and engaging with what your needs are as as a student or what your child's needs are in that situation um, I also think what helps to make a great transition is um, kind of knowing what you want so that you can then be like well I know that this will help my child is there anything that you can do to help get these um, uh, resources to best assist my child because I, I know that that has definitely helped me because I, I went with like, well, I know I need these things in order for me to achieve my best in my studies. So I think, yeah, just again, I'm going to draw it back to a support network again as well, because my dad was a really uh, key helper for me when I was first approaching my uh, uni support staff, because he was like, well, make sure that you do know what you need for your assignments to get them done well and on time, and what technology you will need in your classes to be able to engage with the content and the lectures and the tutorials. So um, I don't know if that's helpful, but um, yeah. The easiest way to find out what you want is to contact people like RIDBC or, um, uh, or Department of, or find those links in education that know what resources are available to you so that you can then be, well, I know these are my child's needs, these are the resources I have available, what correlates, what can I say I need my child to have in order for them to best achieve success in their schooling. Can I just add to that? This has been a fantastic panel. Can yeah. I just add to that transition? Look, school is just, a, education is a series of transitions with a couple of big ones. And each year, your student will be prepared for what's coming up the following years. It's the expanded core curriculum. The skills that your child needs to cope with the schooling that's coming up. So your specialist teachers in all systems will always be preparing your student for the skills that they might need next year. So years nine and 10, you might be working more on audio 
um, output to screen readers so that when you get that huge year 11 print, ac the access to how much print you're ready for it. So it's always just being prepared ahead in lots of little ways as well as big ways. And not all school rules will apply to your child. Schools are going mobile phone free, not for your vision impaired kids. So it's little things like that. They're the little hiccups that you face sometimes and there'll be a really strong push, you know, the rules are you can't do that, but sometimes it's not that for your student. You're allowed to use your phone or other things. Would you agree with that, Brody? that sometimes yeah, yeah. The, the rules don't the rules, always... The rules bend. Yeah. So, yeah. so Claire, Brody. Oh, we've got one more point. I just want to make a final comment to those parents out there. Um, the key, I think, uh, we've talked about how having support um, units or support people around you. Parents, it's your attitude that is going to have the most effect on your child. So be positive, be upbeat, have high expectations that your child will make a good transition and offer the school and the vision support teams that work with your child or the support that they need as well in their programs.